Yes! Welcome to the show where lines are not only discussed but possibly consumed. This is the Catalina Line Mixer, live from 24 Stories Up. I am Frank Catalina. Hope you all had a great holiday weekend, and I'm sure you all enjoyed Wild Card Weekend. I'll tell you who didn't have a good weekend, which was my bookie. Woo! I murdered that son of a bitch, going 6-3. and three. And it would have been a monumental weekend if the Bills didn't fuck me. God damn you, Josh Allen. God damn you. We have a lot to recap from this past weekend, which I'm going to dive right into. Just also to recap the weekend of betting, I went 6-3. and three. I had the Niners at... Minus 9.5, Jaguars at plus 2.5. Now, for the Dolphins-Bills games, my pick was Bills minus 13, but I also said I wouldn't recommend betting them. So what I did was I took a teaser with the Niners and the Bills. I had the Niners at minus 3.5, and I had the Bills at minus 7, and that is what really fucked me. I'm really pissed about that still because I thought that was a lock. The Bills are a much better team than the Dolphins, and they really just shit the bed. And actually concerns me about the Bills moving forward, but I'll get into that in a second. I had the Giants plus three. I had the Ravens plus nine and a half. I actually nailed this game because the line opened up at Bengals minus six and a half. And I said I loved that. But then it, when it went to seven and a half and then eight and a half and then nine and a half, I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Divisional game. Ravens defense is still really good especially ever since they got Roquan Smith. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the Ravens and the points. And the Bengals did cover six and a half to begin with, so I feel like I really nailed that motherfucker down. The Cowboys and Buccaneers, I was iffy on. I did take Tampa plus two and a half, but I did say I wasn't sure who was going to win that game. But I'll tell you, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into that game, those feelings of what I had with Tom Brady's last year in New England all kind of came back to me. And I know Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were doing their best to keep the viewers interested, but I didn't think they had any shot coming back in that game. I thought two and a half would be good because, you know, you would always you always expect Brady to keep it close, but it just didn't happen. And whatever, I didn't bet a lot on that one. I did nail the Cowboys-Tampa game under 45 and a half. That ended at 45 points. I was worried about some late game heroics for Brady and Evans get some garbage points, but they didn't. So I won that bet. The Giants-Vikings under 48 and a half, I did not win. Because neither of the defense really showed up the entire game. And then over in the Dolphins-Bills games, that was over 43.5. That was over almost by halftime. I picked the over 43.5 because I thought the Bills would win 55-10. to 10, But either way, I felt really good about that over. Before I break down each game specifically, the biggest takeaway I had from Wild Card Weekend was... Oh my God, if you don't think coaching matters, you are living under a fucking rock. I was watching that Giants-Vikings game and... It was by far Daniel Jones' best game of his entire fucking life. Good for him. Very happy they won. Extremely excited. First playoff win in 11 years. But I'm watching that game, and that really solidified the job that Brian Dable has done with Daniel Jones. I mean, he was cooking that defense. And I know the defense is complete trash. 
But you got to give Dable a lot of credit. It's basically the same roster from last year that went 4-13. and And Daniel Jones was doing everything. He was getting first downs. He ran for, I think, over 70 yards in the first half. He was a jack-of-all-trades in that game. And it just speaks volumes of the job that Brian Dable has done. Maybe it's not his most ideal quarterback, but he's taken Jones and squeezed every single ounce of talent out of him. And it's been productive. Now the Giants are in a divisional round. On the flip side, I look at Josh Allen and how he was lights out last year against New England Patriots in the playoffs in the first round when he basically had a perfect game. And then he played one of the best games I've ever seen out of a quarterback in that loss against the Chiefs when they, when they never got the ball back. And I expected that same type of Josh Allen performance on against the Miami Dolphins, but he's turning the football over. He threw three picks. He fumbled the ball three times, only lost it once, which was way back in their own territory. And you got to wonder, how much of an impact does Brian Dable leaving to take the Giants job really have on Josh Allen? Can he get back to that elite level that we've seen under Dable the past couple of years? Now, I know a lot of people are ripping Mike McDaniel, but I think he's a pretty good coach, at least in his first year. He took a third-string quarterback in Skylar Thompson, who was, I think, 12 or 11 picks picked ahead of Brock Purdy, and they lost by three points to the Buffalo Bills on the road. Skylar Thompson, not a very impressive game, 18 of 45 for 220 and a touchdown, two picks, but he's his first quarter quarterback rating was zero, mainly based off three or four major drops by their star-studded cast of receivers. Everyone expected the Dolphins to go up to Buffalo and get completely blown out. That didn't happen. A lot of people thought Miami would get blown out the last time they met in Buffalo, which was only a few weeks ago. That didn't happen. On top of that, Tua, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. And yet, when Tua was healthy, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, statistically. So Mike McDaniel, another example of great coaching. Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy. I mean, is Brock Purdy the next Tom Brady? I don't think so, but he's playing lights out. Four touchdown passes. He did extremely well with Jimmy Garoppolo, who valued dropping day by day. Tua, Skylar Thompson, Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo, That is a class of B to C quarterbacks. Mike McDaniel did pretty well with them. And Kyle Shanahan is killing everyone with them. The night before on Saturday night, I thought the exact same thing when the Jaguars-Chargers game. I took the Jaguars because they have the advantage in coaching. And even though Doug Peterson really fucked up earlier in the game, which I'll get to later... Brandon Staley just proved, no, 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 I am the worst quarterback in this facility. Let me go up 27 points at halftime and not even run the fucking football in the second half. My mistake, it was 27 to 7 at halftime, but still, a huge lead for the Chargers going into the half. Then their first possession in the second quarter, run, pass, 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 punt. Seven plays, one rush, six passes. Now, the first run was a four-yard loss, but still, run the football and run the clock. Tell me how this makes sense. Trevor Lawrence finished the game 28 of 47 passing. He threw 47 times. He was down at one point 27 to nothing. Of course, he needs to throw a lot. Justin Herbert, 25 of 43 passes. Why is he throwing 43 times when you have a 27-point lead? I don't understand it. Brandon Staley is the worst. They just fired their offensive coordinator today. They should fire him too for even letting that happen. So getting back to my point with coaching, Justin Herbert, in my first episode, I did rank Trevor Lawrence slightly ahead of Justin Herbert in terms of top quarterbacks. I had Lawrence at fourth 
and Herbert at fifth. Trevor Lawrence isn't ready to take that leap ahead of Herbert. That was in the first half. And I still kind of believe that. I think that Justin Herbert is just a better raw talent, even though Trevor Lawrence did win the game. But I'm telling you right now, if the roles were reversed and the Jaguars were up 27 to nothing, that game would have stayed 27 to nothing or maybe like 42 to 10. There is no way Brandon Staley would even sniff a comeback in that game. And I looked at Justin Herbert and I'm like, wow, if they got like a Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh who announced that he's not going to leave Michigan, unfortunately, man, sky's the limit for him and the Chargers. But of course, I don't know. I really don't know why he still has a job. He's had Justin Herbert for three years and they can't make the fucking playoffs. And when they do, they blow a 27 point lead. Get that fucking guy out of there, bro. He is... Terrible. He's a defensive guy, and his team, his defense, blew a 27-point lead. Inexcusable. So I really can't stress enough how important coaching is. And it made me think about Derek Carr when I was talking about him in my last episode, how he's only had, and it made me think a lot about Derek Carr, who I talked about a lot in my first episode, what he's been able to do in Oakland slash Vegas in that coaching carousel. It's unbelievable. And it made me think about other quarterbacks too. What about like Sam Darnold? He, went, he, got, he got drafted by the New York Jets in Todd Bowles' final year before he got fired. And then he dealt with two years of Adam Gase. Then obviously he moves on to the Carolina Panthers where it's Matt Rule. And then he gets fired midseason. And then actually he played pretty well at the end of the year. It's just like, I, I'm not saying Sam Darnold is the next Tom Brady. I'm just saying with some type of stability. You never really know who could actually, who actually is a bust and who isn't. That's why... As great as Patrick Mahomes is, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's so talented. But he's the trust fund baby of quarterbacks. Gets drafted by the Chiefs, Andy Reid, his offense, stability, year after year after year, the same offense, was drafted with a bunch of weapons. The weapon, like Tyreek Hill left, but he still has a plethora of of weapons and machines in the backfield and the... A tight end. Yeah, no wonder he's fucking great. Would he be great in the Jets? I don't really know. I'm not saying that he's not great because he is. It's tough to say. So coaching matters a shit ton. And I wish that was stressed a little bit more out there. I don't know if everyone really gets it, but that was the biggest takeaway I had after the weekend of games. Wow. Coaching is unbelievably important. And not only that, but you think Tom Brady would have lost by, what, 20-something points with Bill Belichick as a coach? I don't think so. I mean, is Todd Bulls, does he even know what's going on? There's a reason why he was fired by the Jets. He's probably going to get fired now. He should. The Bucs just need to completely start from scratch. Trade Evans, get some draft picks. Keep the guys, I'm not really sure if there are salary cap issues, but keep the guys you aren't paying any money. If Tom Brady's leaving, which he is, then hire a young offensive head coach, draft a quarterback at whatever pick, who cares, and just start from scratch. Get rid of Todd Bowles. Maybe Byron Leftwich would be a good head coach. He sure did well under Bruce Arians. Hasn't done the, he hasn't done the best job this year, but I think he's deserving of, a, of an opportunity for sure. Another example is even Mac Jones. His first year, he played pretty well under Josh McDaniels. And then this past year, again, his numbers weren't like fantastic. They weren't terrible, but they weren't great either. But he had Matt Patricia calling his plays. I know he has Bill Belichick as a coach, but obviously he needs to catch up with the times in terms of how offenses are run on each team. Got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running your offense. I'm surprised they barely, I'm surprised they almost made the playoffs. In Matt Jones' first year under Josh McDaniels, he didn't do bad. He almost threw for 4,000 yards. They made the playoffs. 
I think he has a ceiling, but who knows? What if he has good stability for three or four years? Who knows what he could do? Anyways, I want to dive into the games. I'm going to start with the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. You know what? Seattle, I kind of brushed you off there. I picked the Niners to cover the nine and a half, and they did. But it really looked shaky there for a while. In the first half, when it was 17-16 Seattle. In order for Seattle to win that game, they needed to play a perfect game. And they did, but the problem is it was only for the first half. At the end of the first half, it was 17-16 Seattle. Seattle had zero penalties, zero turnovers. Geno Smith, 9 of 10, 104 yards and a touchdown. They were outstanding. Brock Purdy looked a little shaken up early in the game, maybe the first two drives, overthrew a couple of balls, even though they did jump up to an early 10-0 lead. But then the defense really stepped up and shut them down in the red zone, forcing two field goals. I thought Seattle played a perfect game in the first half. Unfortunately, the second half, they were outscored 25-6. Two turnovers, one crucial fumble by Geno in their own red zone. I mean, listen, I'm not surprised. I know I said I was worried about the Bengals-Ravens game because it's a divisional game, and I know this is a divisional game too, but this is like way different. The Ravens are a much better playoff-tested team. John Harbaugh is a better coach than Pete Carroll. Not taking anything away from Pete Carroll, I think he's a pretty good coach too. But his his entire team are a bunch of kids. Add that on to the fact that San Francisco just steamrolled their schedule, winning 10 in a row, heading into the playoffs, at home, red hot. They lose a quarterback, doesn't matter. What Name another team out there who would lose their starting quarterback and would just continue winning five, six games in a row. I, I don't know anyone else except for Kyle Shanahan run offense. But Brock Purdy really stepped up, ended up throwing four touchdown passes. Check this out. Jimmy G in his 49ers playoff career, 160 yards per game on average, four total touchdowns, six picks, 74 quarterback rating. In Brock Purdy's first career playoff game, 332 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks, 131 quarterback rating. Now, I don't want to read too much into this because it was against Seattle, but Shanahan has a perfect system for that type of quarterback. Brock Purdy is exactly like Jimmy G, except he's a lot more mobile and he does have a better arm. And Kyle Shanahan did pretty well with Jimmy G, making it to the NFC Championship game last year. I don't know, man. It's hard to imagine Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl representing the NFC, but we're we're only two games away from that, possibly. So I thought the Niners played... Extremely well in the second half, and they did take care of business like good teams should, like the Bills didn't do, and they will move on and host the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys game last night was a disaster for the Bucks. Dak Prescott played outstanding. Credit to him. I still don't think he's that great of a quarterback, but he played really, really well. I think Brady will be back next year, either on the 49ers, the Raiders, or possibly even the Dolphins. I've heard some rumblings of possibly Tennessee as well with Mike Vrabel, but who knows? We'll see. And after watching him last night, he, for the first time, really looked like he was 45 or 46 years old. He might decide to retire. I doubt it. I think with Giselle not tugging on him to retire, and I'm sure he doesn't want to go out that way, I think he'll be back for another year, maybe two. Maybe it'll sound like a two-year deal with a player option in the second year. But I thought the Cowboys were the better team. I was just worried about Dak turning the football over, which he didn't. 
and I was worried about the Cowboys playing on the road. They've only won one road game out of their last five prior to last night's game, and they shut up all the critics, and they beat a team that really shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. The Bucks were 8-9, and nine, under 500 team. If they didn't have Tom Brady, everyone would have looked at them the way at least I looked at Seattle. You know, it's funny. I picked the Niners, and then I'm listening to football coverage over the weekend on the radio, and everyone, everyone loved Seattle and the points. I, I thought maybe I was missing something. And then after the first half, I was like, oh, fuck. Maybe I, maybe I did miss something, but turned out I didn't miss anything. Now, the question is, can the Cowboys ride this wave and play a great game against the 49ers? I don't think so. I'm going to wait to see how the week plays out, see if there's any big injuries or anything, see how see how San Francisco is doing with their injury list, kind of go from there. But again, I'm going to hold judgment until Friday on that Cowboys 49ers game. But as of right now, I don't see how the 49ers are going to lose. So again, we'll see. The third game is, my God, that Chargers-Jacksonville game. I, got, I dove into it a little bit before with Staley and how he's such a fucking idiot. I really put a lot of blame on Doug Peterson for falling in that hole. Way too aggressive early with a young and inexperienced team. Trevor Lawrence threw his second interception not even five minutes into the game, and then they decided to go for it on fourth and seven on the Chargers' 33-yard line instead of taking the points. I mean, bro, you need to let your quarterback, you need to let not only your quarterback, but your player settle in a little bit. And obviously they were all revved up because... Lawrence threw an interception on his second throw of the game, or in the second play of the game. Stop going for it on fourth and seven. T- kick the field goal. Or if, all right, if your kicker, if you know something that we don't and he can't make that kick, then punt the ball. I don't think people understand the significance of winning the battle of field position. And if you can pin the opponents back in their own 10-yard line, especially after scoring such an easy touchdown their first time around, make them work for it. But of course, they missed a fourth down conversion. The Chargers get the ball back with decent field position, but with all the momentum, and they drove right down the field and scored. Doug Peterson really fucked up early in that game. I I wasn't shocked because he is an aggressive guy. Pick your battles. If you're playing a really competitive game and it's 24-21, seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and it's like fourth and seven, you really want to make a move. I can understand that if your team's playing. Not in like the first drive after your quarterback's already thrown two picks. Take it easy. And keep in mind, this was also Justin Herbert's first career playoff game as well. So not only is he making it impossible for Trevor Lawrence to settle down, but he's making it way too easy for Herbert to settle in. I hated how Doug Peterson started that game. It was brutal. Now, I will say one thing about Staley. The interceptions weren't just bad throws by Lawrence. They were, but it was also also Staley and the Chargers defense having a great game plan early on in that game. The problem with Staley is he can't make any adjustments moving forward which is why in the second half they completely blew it. He can come up with a good game plan. That's half the battle. You know, when teams prepare for for a game, they usually have the first two to three drives already mapped out. And then from there, they make adjustments. Staley can't make adjustments. Not only that, but Joey Bosa had the huge unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after the Jaguars scored the touchdown, which then pushed the ball ahead. If they were going to go for it, it went from the two-yard line to the one-yard line. Jaguars ended up going for it and making it a 30-28 to ball game at that point, which eventually was the game winner because later on they just went down and kicked the game-winning field goal instead of a game-tying field goal. And again, that's on coaching. It's hard for a coach to be responsible for all 53 guys on their field to be responsible for their actions in such a heated moment. But Joey Bosa is one of your one of your captains, one of your leaders on your defense. 
I think part of the frustration for Bosa was because, wow, like my coach sucks. I, how do we even get in this position? How is this team even one possession behind us? I don't believe it. And I couldn't believe it either. But actually, I could because Staley is incompetent. So that's that. And the Jaguars came back with a 27-point comeback. Largest in playoff history. Miraculous. Unbelievable. I'm excited to see what a settled down Trevor Lawrence can do against the Chiefs in Kansas City. I don't think it will be pretty, but again, I kind of have to see how that plays out. I'm so happy it's the Jaguars instead of the Chargers because we see the Chiefs and Chargers play twice a year, every year anyways, and Staley can't hold a candle to Andy Reid either in the regular season games. Can't imagine with Andy Reid with an extra week of preparation time what he would do, how bad he would flop in that game. So I'm happy the Jaguars move on. Now, I mentioned this game earlier because it really fucked my teaser and it really put a damper on my overall weekend of betting. I would have finished 7-2 and two if the Bills would have just covered fucking six points in my teaser. I mean, come on, bro. You're going up against a third-string quarterback at home against a team who's lost, what, six in a row heading into that game? Give me a break. You know the Dolphins' defense had one takeaway on the road this entire season. And then they had four on Sunday, which is inexcusable for the Bills. Now, the Bills were my preseason Super Bowl picks. I don't have that recorded anywhere on a podcast, but I just thought this was Josh Allen's year. And to be honest with you, I'm having some serious doubts with the way he's been playing with his carelessness of the football. I'm not going to change my pick, ride or die with my pick, but man, oh man. Three interceptions, fumbled the ball three times, only lost one of them. But it was crucial. It was inside their own 20-yard line. Here's some good things to take away from the Bills in that game. They almost doubled Miami in total yardage, 423 to 231. They actually ran the ball for 107 yards and only 20 from Josh Allen. That's actually huge. I've always knocked them for being way too Josh Allen reliant. The fact that they got 87 rushing yards without Allen involved is shocking to me, but also a good thing to build on. Also, my my fantasy football bust, Gabe Davis, really stepped up. He really is big game Gabe. Stepped up six catches, 113 yards, one touchdown. That's a great sign for them as well. Also, Cole Beasley had a big effect in that game, along with Stephon Diggs, which you expect. Even with throwing three interceptions and and losing one fumble, their turnover, turnover differential was only minus one. And they finished 56% on third down conversions. Also, in the entire game, they had just two penalties. So there's a lot of good things you can build on off this game, even though it was almost an, a fucking disaster from a team who really shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. But again, the concerns for me for the Bills are Josh Allen's turnovers. They did allow seven sacks. And Miami's not a good team. And you can't continue to give other teams chances in this league, especially in the playoffs. Now they're playing the Bengals, who it looks like they lost two more offensive linemen. I heard today that one of them might be coming back. But they're already down two heading into Sunday night's game. And you cannot turn the football over like that against the Bengals because you will not walk away with a win. Everyone's been saying how everyone's expecting the Bills and Chiefs to meet in the AFC Championship game. I'm telling you right now, they need to button up their shit if they expect to beat the Bengals. The Bengals last year went into Arrowhead and knocked off the Chiefs. After what I saw two days ago, they can easily go into Orchard Park and knock off the Bills. 
I'm telling you right now, if it weren't for that DeMar Hamlin injury, which was so tragic, thank God he's he's doing better now. Thank God. But if it weren't for that injury, the Bengals would have steamrolled the Bills. The Bengals opened up on a roll. They were going to run away with that game. The Bills lucked out having this game in Orchard Park. And they better button it up, man. I, I mean, I saw Josh Allen walking into the stadium with all smiles, pregame. He's laughing, joking with his teammates. You know, been here, done that. I get that. You're Josh Allen. You can, <clears throat> you're allowed to be cocky and confident. That's great. You cannot walk into that stadium cocky and confident and turn the football over four times and almost six times if you count the two fumbles that the, the Bills recovered. Joe Burrow is going to walk in there with his cigar lit and fucking smoke you guys if you don't if you don't button up. I'm telling you right now, they got to watch out for that game. It's going to be hard to pick against the Bills in that game, but I, I you know we'll see. I, I got to wait and see how the line's going to move. Speaking of the Bengals, now I know what you're probably thinking: while the Bills barely beat the Miami Dolphins, but also, the Bengals barely beat the Ravens. That's This is a little bit different. The Ravens' defense has Joe Burrow's number. doesn't give him an excuse, but the Ravens are a way better defensive team for a quarterback to face than the Dolphins' defense was for Josh Allen. A John Harbaugh coach team is a lot tougher of an opponent than a Mike McDaniel Miami Dolphin team is. That Ravens' defense is top three in yards allowed per game since they picked up Roquan Smith. That guy is a monster. The Bengals had trouble running the football, just 51 yards, which I expected. I'll tell you what, man, the Bengals, they were lucky to escape with a win. If it weren't for that goal line strip 98-yard return for a touchdown, we could be looking at a completely different matchup here. We could be looking at Bills Jags and Ravens versus the Chiefs. But one thing I will say about Cincinnati, they Joe Burrow walked in there and he switched the DNA of that team. The Bengals' DNA, the, their losing DNA has always been similar. Has always been the same as like the Vikings. They just have that like loser type DNA in them where they just can't get it done. And even though the even though the Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl last year, that DNA has switched. This team, I'm more confident in this team than any other one heading into the playoffs. They were playing outstanding. And a, an old Bengals team in their DNA would have lost that game Sunday night to the Ravens. Joe Burrow is responsible for the culture change of that entire locker room. With all those young offensive guys and the stars they have on defense, this team doesn't take shit from nobody in a stacked AFC. I expect Burrow to play a lot better against the Bills, especially with no Von Miller. Even without Von Miller, the Bills should be able to get pressure on Burrow with that offensive line damaged. But I'm telling you right now, Joe Burrow walked away from that Ravens game and said, woof, dodged a bullet. Now we're going to be ready to play the Bills. And that's going to be a really, really tough game to pick and an unbelievable game to watch. I cannot wait for that game. Bills versus Bengals. Is it wrong of me for giving the Ravens too much credit with Tyler Huntley? Maybe, but that Ravens defense, I would not sleep on them. And and I give the Bengals a lot of credit for pulling out that win. The Bills game, I mean, the spread was minus 13. The Bills should have never kept that game close. All right, you want to be like the 49ers and keep the game close at halftime? Okay, okay, fine. But then you should run away with the game moving forward, which they didn't. And Josh Allen continued to struggle. Uh, that's going to be, that could be the game of the year right there. Or, you know, the game up until, that could be the game of the year. 
and then maybe the winner of that team against possibly Kansas City could top it, but that game's going to be fantastic. Cannot wait to watch that game. Now, I don't know know if you've noticed, but I've been kind of saving the best for last over here with the um, Giants-Vikings game. I, you know, I watched that game with five or six other people, all Vikings fans. I thought, you know what? The Giants are playing on the road in Minnesota. Maybe I should be watching the game in enemy territory as well. <clears throat> there wasn't too much smack talk going on. After the first drive by Kirk Cousins, I was like, oh boy. You know, we've been hearing that the Vikings defense is bottom, bottom of the league, but man, that was a little too easy for Kirk Cousins. Jefferson had... Four catches on that first drive. I was like, oh boy, <clears throat> here we go. But then Danny Danny Jones, man, he really stepped up. Drove the football right back down the field and put up seven to tie the game. And then I was like, okay. A few hours before the game started, I was driving to my friend's place and I was thinking about it. I was like, all right, listen. Giants lost in week 16 to the same Vikings team off a 61-yard field goal. That was with the Giants finished with a negative two turnover differential they finished 27% on third down conversions. Justin Jefferson went off with 12 catches, 133 yards and a touchdown. And I'm thinking to myself, with all that stacked against them, if they can just button up a few things. You know, you don't need to shut down Justin Jefferson to no catches. You know, maybe just half and maybe not a touchdown. And the negative two turnover, turnover differential, definitely that needs to be a goose egg or in the positives. Can't have any turnovers. And then on third down conversions, I don't know, maybe... 40 to 50 percent if we can just do those little things this team could definitely win this game and that is exactly what happened in this game zero turnovers giants 53 percent on third down conversions and justin jefferson seven catches 47 yards zero touchdowns oh and by the way had four catches and 31 yards on the first drive alone Three catches, just 16 yards the rest of the game. I heard earlier today that Wink Martindale, who is known for heavy blitzing, usually blitzes around 60, 65% of the time, and did the exact same thing in the first meeting with the Vikings. In this game, he actually adjusted and only blitzed, I believe it was 22% of the time, which is unreal to me. You want to make an adjustment and not blitz as much. Usually, you know, you drop down to like 50 or 40% to blitz only 22 to 25% of the time. That's like, that's changing your DNA. That's changing the way you coach. That's what co- that's what good coaches do, Brandon Staley. They make adjustments, especially if you've seen the opponent earlier in the year. And it worked out. I mean, they didn't get any sacks on Cousins. <clears throat> in the box score, it looked bad with zero sacks. But if you watch the game, that really wasn't the case. Cousins was under pressure for most of the game. And that's what you gotta that's what you do if you wanna stop a guy like Justin Jefferson. You gotta drop extra guys in coverage and make sure he has two or three guys around him at all times. Now Hawkinson went off a little bit, which okay, like, you know, you can't guard everybody. That that offense, they have a lot of weapons there, but they limited Dalvin Cook pretty well, and I thought they played an excellent game. Now on the flip side, I know I kind of trashed Danny Jones last week as a huge Giants fan. I'm, I wasn't sold on him. And to be honest with you, I'm not really completely sold just yet. I mean, keep in mind, this defense was JV level. I'm watching that game. I'm thinking to myself, Vikings defense have 9, 10 guys on the field. There's guys wide open on every single play. And credit to Danny Jones. He made the right moves and did not make the mistake. Last episode, I ripped how the turnover to interception ratio isn't 
that impressive to me because he doesn't throw a lot. And in this game, he did throw a lot and still zero picks. That's something to be that's something to be proud of. But it was one of the worst defenses in the league. It was in indoor. Now, if Danny Jones can put up. I don't want to say the same type of performance, but if the if the performance with against the Vikings was a level ten, if he can do like a level seven or even an eight against the Philadelphia Eagles, then I may be sold on Danny Dimes. But for now, I am I'm not getting too excited. I'm happy for the win. I'm pumped. I don't think we should go out and sign him to a seven year, forty million dollar per year type of contract. I'm not ready for that yet. I I'm not gonna let the past three games take away what I've seen over the past four fucking years, okay? Like, this guy isn't the next fucking Joe Montana. He had a great game, and it was his first playoff game. Credit to him. He played great. Can can you do it again in in another big playoff game on the road in Philly, in the cold conditions? Philly's the number one seed in the NFC. They finished with the best record in football. That defense is a lot better than than the Vikings' defense. The Vikings had 13 wins, but how many times did Kirk Cousins come back from behind? I mean, they're a little fraudulent. And I really hate to say that about a team because it is really hard to win in this league. And they won 13 games, they won 13 games. But at the same time, you know, 13-win teams don't normally have, don't finish in a negative point differential. And, you know, the Giants won. They beat a, they, they beat a good team. The Vikings put up a good fight. I loved every second of it. I haven't felt that feeling in 11 years. It was amazing. It was amazing. And if they lose next weekend, at least I'll have that win to kind of hold my head up high for for the next couple months until football season starts again. But I'm not going to go into this honeymoon phase with Daniel Jones. I am not sold on him yet. I'm sorry. Do it again. If you're really that good and you want four or five years and $40 million, do it again. And like I said, you don't need to play a perfect game like you played last week. The game against the Vikings was a level 10. Can you play a level 7 or 8? I think, you know, I don't think that's a lot to ask for. And if he can do something along those lines and the Giants can keep it really close and possibly win that game, then I will reassess my judgment on Jones. But as of right now, I'm definitely going to be a little more lenient on him because, you know, I've been ripping him to shreds for the past two or three years. But great win. Let's see what you can do against Philly, and then we'll go from there. All right, so that's my recap of all the games brought to you by Nobody. I don't have any sponsors. If you're a sponsor out there and you want to chip in, you know where to contact me. I'm really not picky. I mean, you know, if you're if you're a company that does, if you're a tampon company, I'll, I'll take your call. Don't worry about who you are. Just contact me. We'll go from there. The early lines for the games... So far, according to DraftKings, are the Jaguars at Chiefs, which is going to be played Saturday at 4.30. The Chiefs are an 8.5-point favorite. Seems like a lot of points for a Doug Peterson-type coach, but again, I'm going to wait a few days to kind of dissect into that. The Giants at Eagles is Saturday night at 8.15, at Lincoln Financial, the Eagles are a seven and a half point favorite. Then Sunday at three o'clock, we have the Bengals at the Bills. The Bills are a five point favorite. And then last but not least is Sunday night, the Dallas Cowboys are at San Francisco. And the line earlier this morning was San Francisco by four. But now the line has dropped. San Francisco is a three and a half point favorite. If you're interested in hearing some of my picks, I will be posting another podcast Friday late morning, early afternoon. 
<clears throat> I would love for you to tune in. I'm also going to have a guest on to discuss the games, kind of get different perspectives as well. So really hope you enjoyed listening to this show and hope you tune in on, on Friday. This is the Catalina Line Mixer logging out. Peace.